Acts chapter number 3, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter 3, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. We'll begin in verse number 1, we'll read down to verse number 8. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here. I pray that you'd take the holy, inspired, inerrant, powerful, divine word of God. And I pray that you'd use it in our hearts and minds. Lord, teach us, grow us, and may in everything that's said and done tonight, we magnify Jesus Christ. Thank you for how you've been working in the lives and hearts of our people, Lord. Thank you for how you've been meeting with us. God, you're just so gracious. You're so good. Let me just say publicly, Lord, before these gathered and before heaven itself, that I love you and I thank you and you're a precious God. And I'm satisfied and content in you, Lord. And I'm just so thankful for who you are as well as what you do in our lives. Lord, bless the preaching tonight. May it honor Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. I want to ask you a question before we get into the... uh, the preaching night, and if you don't feel comfortable raising a hand in acknowledgement, that's fine. I won't get upset at you, but uh, how many of us would say, you know, preacher, I've got somebody in my life, a family member, a loved one, a neighbor, a co-worker, but somebody, you could say their name. I'm not going to ask you to, but you you could. I don't mean generic person, but I mean somebody specific in your life that you believe to be lost and you're burdened for them. Would you raise your hand if you've got somebody like that? How many of you would say, well, preacher, I've got somebody in my life, and and I don't know whether they're saved or not. Uh, I really, it'd be hard to tell from outside appearance. They have a testimony, uh, but I'm burdened for them as well. I don't know what God needs to do in their life, but I want God to work in their life. Would you raise your hand if you've got somebody like that? I've got several like that. And I'll ask you this final question. How many would say, preacher, I've got somebody in my life and I know that they're saved best as I can know. I believe them to be a Christian, uh, but they're away from the Lord. They're estranged from God. They're not walking with the Lord. And my heart is burdened for them tonight. Would you slip your hand up? I told you it was a final question. Let me ask you one more. You don't even have to raise your hand if you don't want to for it. But how many would say, you know, preacher, uh, sometimes I just feel helpless to help those people. Do you ever feel like that? Man, I don't know about you, but I, I feel that daily. And I've got people in my life, and my heart's broken for them, and I'm burdened for them. And if I'm to be honest with you, I just sometimes feel so helpless. I sometimes feel so bankrupt of the resources to pour into their life, to reach them, to see their life changed for the glory of God. Some of them lost need to be saved. Some of them, I don't know where they're at with God. And nobody but God and them knows where they're at with God. And some of them that I know are saved, but they're running from the Lord. And my heart is burdened because I feel like I, like I know God wants to work in their life. And I feel like God could do such a great work in them if they would only allow Him to. My heart is just burdened for Him. I, I, I don't know about you, but me personally, if I'm not careful, I'll get so focused on the ways that I can't help people that I'll begin to neglect the ways that I can help people. You know, one of the things I love about this story in Acts chapter number 3, Peter and John were not focused on what they did not have, 
But they said this in verse number six. Peter said to this man, silver and gold have I none. And I like this phrase, but such as I have, give I thee. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. Such as I have. Say, preacher, I just don't know if I've got the words to convince them. Well, maybe you don't. Preacher, I, I just, I don't know what it'll take in their life. Well, you probably don't. I probably don't in regards to their specific circumstances. But I will tell you that you and I are not helpless to touch and to change the lives of those that are around us for the glory of God. And I think we would be far more helped if instead of allowing ourselves to be resigned to feelings of helplessness, we stopped and said, now, Lord, there may be things that I can't do. And there may be things that I can't change. But God, by your grace and with your help, I want to be used of you to work and to change the things that I can change. Lord, I'm not going to focus on what I'm not. I'm going to focus on what I am in you. I'm not going to focus on what I don't have. I'm going to focus on what I do have in you. And I'm not going to focus on my inability, although that is vast. Lord, I'm going to focus on your ability. And I'm going to desire simply to be used of you to work in their life. When we approach this passage of Scripture, the text is very plain before us. This man, lame from his mother's womb, is laid at the gate called Beautiful, and his entire life is consumed in helplessness. He can't get up, he can't move, he can't work, he can't change his situation or his circumstances. He has no doubt given up on any hope of a joyful or fulfilling life, and all he really has to do is just sit there and watch people more healthy than him, more capable than him, more wealthy than him, more able than him, walk by and merely beg and seek for the means to try to survive for another day. When Peter and John pass by him, He uh, cries out for them, asking for alms. And Peter, immediately fixing his eyes, makes this profound statement. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. You know, the world has the wrong perspective on what the sinner needs. Uh, And part of the reason our society is so crushingly inefficient is because in a secular, godless society, they've lost sight of what is truly broken in the human condition. I thought about all the things that Peter could have offered this man that he did not offer this man. And I thought about things that the world would think would fix this man's situation. I would say this, and it's plain from the text, what the sinner needs is not more money. Uh, I'm not sure money's worth anything anymore, amen? And uh, I'm not sure it was ever worth anything, really, to be honest. But we live in a world where the philosophy is if we throw enough money at a problem, we can somehow fix it. And there are even people who live their entire lives believing if somehow they could just break through into the next tax bracket, just somehow get through into a higher standard of living, that that would fix all that's broken in their life. But, you know, when your life changed, it wasn't when you got a promotion. It's when you got salvation. It wasn't when you got that job. It was when you got Jesus. It was when God saved you. That's what changed the trajectory of your life. And Peter could have said, well, let's all gather together and take up a love offering for this fellow. But he didn't. He could have said, well, let's go to the leadership over Israel and tell them that they're failing in their public and civic duties and we need to help this man and we need to give money to him. But you see, Peter understood this fundamental truth. He could give him money, but that money would merely be uh, squandered away. It may help him survive in that broken condition a little while longer. But if God changed his life, then there'd be no need to have to pour endless money into him. What the sinner needs is not more money. I, I thought about this too. What the sinner needs is not more education. 
educations. I, I, I have lived an unusual moment in time in Western history. Uh, we are seeing the collapse, I believe, of the worship of education. And a lot of that is because the educational system in the West has become so corrupt and depraved and warped and confused that it's just transparently on the face of it obvious that what they're doing is not really educating anyone. And for a lot of years, and most of you grew up in a generation where, man, going to college, getting a degree, that was it. And the, the idea that you were told by your parents and your peers was, well, if you go to college and get a degree, all your problems are going to be fixed. Maybe for a small period of time in history here in America, that did make a meaningful difference in people's socioeconomic status. Nowadays, I was watching a program the other day where people was talking about their businesses they started, and this woman was talking about starting a business. She said, I, I found myself, she said, I got fired from my job in advertising. She said, I found myself 48 years old with student debt and no job. I thought, my soul, 48 years old in student debt <laughs> but that's really the plight of most of the, i mean you and i not we ain't educated but people that go to college they've got mountains of debt and this idea that we can somehow educate people into a better condition but you know the truth of the matter is uh peter could have looked at this man and said let me tell you all the things in your life that are broken but this man knew how he was broken he knew what was wrong and I will say this, that as we witness to people, there is certainly a biblical mandate to show people the reason that their life is so broken. But you generally don't have to take a broken sinner and show them they're broken. They know they're broken. All you have to do is point to the fact that it was sin that did this to you. It was rebellion, disobedience. It was not God. God didn't do this to you. It was an absence of God that did this to you. And this idea that, well, if we just educate people more of the sinner, what he needs is not more education. Then I thought about this. You know, Peter, he, he could have said, well, let's get this fella a cot and a bed and a sandwich and let's get him somewhere, a warm place to sleep at night. And he could have said what this sinner needs is more social care. But the truth is, that wouldn't have helped this man in his plight. Uh, the fact of the matter is this. Peter, he had no silver. He had no gold. He had none of the resources that the world would have suggested would have been the remedy for this man's problem. But what he did have, he gave to him. And what he gave transformed this man's life. Now you say, well, preacher, what did he give? He gave the gospel in a sense. He gave uh, testimony to the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And of course, God was doing things at this time in the church in a transitional period, miraculous in nature. But in that phrase, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, we have in type and in figure a picture of what the gospel does in people's lives. Not necessarily always of healing uh, physical ailments and diseases, but certainly that deepest disease of the human condition, man's sin sickness is healed by the name of Jesus Christ. But I would say before he ever gave that, we actually find Peter and John giving other things that contributed to this moment. This is the thought I want to preach to you tonight. You say, preacher, I don't have what it takes. Well, you might be surprised how much you do have. And you might be surprised what you can do. And you might be surprised what is at your disposal. Because when you look at these men, you find they did not just give that momentary word of witness, but their entire life was lived in devotion to God. And that is what contributed and led up to this very moment. Preacher, what can I give? I don't have silver or gold. I don't have magic answers. I don't have some secret clue to give them. No, but you can give them the same things they gave them. You say, Preacher, what is that? Well, look with me at verse 1. The Bible says this. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. 
Do you know that if Peter and John hadn't been going up to the temple at the ninth hour, none of this could have happened? If they had not been going to the temple at the hour of prayer at this very moment in time, they would not have providentially met this man and this could have never taken place. That's interesting to me. I don't believe the Holy Ghost spoke to Peter and said, all right, Peter, get up and go to church. I don't believe the Holy Ghost had to tell Peter that. I think Peter was in the habit of going to the house of uh, of God. I think he was in the habit of going to the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And I, I, I would say this, you say, preacher, what can I have? What do I have that can make a difference? Well, here's what he had. He had consistency. He consistently followed the Lord. You'd be amazed the miraculous things God will do in the mundaneness of life. And if you go through the pages of Scripture, you'll find that some of the most remarkable things that God ever did, He did when people were just going about the doldrums of life, the the, the just basic duty of life, when they were just in their place at the right time. And God did a work in that situation. Man, I mean, we, we could go back, we could look at, at God's working in the life of David, uh, toiling and laboring there in the shepherd's field, and God came along, delivered him from the lion, delivered him uh, from the bear, worked mightily in his life. It was in the shepherd's field that Samuel found him and anointed him uh, to be king over Israel. We could talk about Moses on the backside of the desert, like, like David, just tending sheep, just going about his business, just doing what he was called to do in that moment in time, and the burning bush appears before him. We could talk Talk about the shepherds there on the night that the Lord's birth was announced, just laboring away out there. And it sounds like out in the shepherd's fields where you need to be. Amen. These just people just caring about just doing what they were called to do and commanded to do. And likewise, in Peter and John's life, I don't believe they got up in the morning and said, God's going to do a miracle. I don't believe they got up in the morning and the Holy Ghost said, now, today is a miracle day. Go down to the temple and be. No, I think they just went because that's where they always went. Think with me for a moment about the place where it happened. They were at the temple. They were at the house of God. Now, I'm aware that the Jewish temple is not the New Testament church, and I know that a Jew going to worship at the temple is not the same thing as you and I coming to the New Testament uh, church and worshiping. But at this moment, at this time uh, in the Bible, uh, they were doing something that was called on and expected of them and something in obedience to uh, the Word of God and, and, and to God in their life. And they were just going to the place where they were expected to go. You know, you'd be amazed how much trouble you'll stay out of and how much God can work in your life if you'll stay out of the wrong places and stay in the right places. It's an amazing thing. You know, you'll find people in life perpetually unlucky. <laughs> Always. And, that, and you'll, they'll say, they'll say, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, that's amazing. If you're in the wrong place, you'll be there at the wrong time. There's no right time to be in the wrong place. But if you'll be in the right place consistently, where were they going? They were going to the house of God and worshiping. And, you know, I will say that in my ministry, some of the greatest things that God did are not on days I expected him to do them, but just being faithful, going to the house of God, worshiping the Lord, being obedient in my life, being obedient in the prayer closet. And God did something incredible. I see the place where it happened, but then I see the path where it happened. Now, I know that we have an omniscient God. I know that God knows all things. God knows what you're going to do before you know what you're going to do. But I would also notice that God did not appoint the intersection of these two individuals' lives in some place that was out of keeping with their routine. God worked within the routine of Peter and John's life to provide this divine appointment. 
In other words, as they were just consistently going about serving the Lord, here's what God did. He took somebody else and put them in their path. That's what we call a divine appointment and gave a moment in time where God could perform a miracle. I wonder sometimes how many times we have missed divine appointments because we weren't walking the path that we should have been walking. And I mean that in a very explicit way. I mean, I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I wonder how many times when we weren't headed to the house of God when it was church time. How many times when we were in some place that we shouldn't have been in. How many times when out of defeat and discouragement, we didn't allow God to work in our life and we have missed an opportunity that God had provided for us. You say, preacher, I don't have anything to give them. Well, you can give them consistency. And you can give the Lord consistency. I would say consistency. Then look at verses 2 and 3. I like this. The Bible says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John go uh, about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Now you say, Preacher, I don't see anything interesting there. Oh, I do. I see that Peter and John, as they were going about in their consistent walk, were obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me say it this way. You say, Preacher, what can I give them? Well, you can give the Lord compliance. They did not allow routine to become a rut, such that they just marched with blinders on. But instead, through their obedience to the leadership of the Lord, God brought them to a place where he could work and use them for his glory. Think about the obedience that led them there. If they'd been disobedient to the Lord, they would have never been there in that moment. And I tell people all the time, sometimes people come to me, broken hearts, they'll say, Preacher, I'm, I'm so burdened, I've got this neighbor and I've been witnessing to him, they don't even want me talking to him anymore, I've got a family member, I've been witnessing to him, I've been talking to him, and they, they, they told me they don't even want to hear from me anymore, and, and Preacher, I just, my heart's broken, I, I don't know what to do. And I'll often tell them, well, here's what you need to do, you need to continue to pray for him. Content, pray for him just like you were getting ready to see him tomorrow, pray for him anyway. And beyond that, keep your heart tender. And keep your ears open. Because sooner or later, life is going to get real with them. And when that happens, they know who knows God. Being obedient. I think about the obedience that led them there. And then I think about the providence that led them there. They weren't there by accident. God doesn't have accidents in life. God God doesn't do anything by happenstance. Uh, He does everything by providence. And as such, we can anticipate that if we'll obey God, he will put us in the right moment, in the right time, in the right situation. I wonder about times in my life when God has had me right where I needed to be physically, but I was nowhere where I needed to be spiritually. And I've missed an opportunity. Man, it can happen. It can happen. I mean, listen, it can happen quick. I've got one of the blessed things about being a uh, being a pastor. And sometimes it's funny. You both never get to make your own schedule, and sometimes kind of get to make your own schedule. You can shift things around, and everything. I don't know about you. I hate traffic. I hate driving. I hate being out. If I just if I just did what I wanted to, I'd probably just cover up with rock and just say bye to the world, you know. And and uh, that's a flaw in me, but. You know, I try to situate my life such that I don't have to be out in traffic when it's crazy. I don't know if you know this, but but rush hour traffic in the city of Knoxville starts at 930 in the morning and goes unbroken until 1030 the following day. I don't know if you know that. I mean, it's just relentless, you know, and. Man, I, the other day I was out and I was going home. I thought I called Lee. I was headed from West Knoxville. I hate West Knoxville. Some of you people live out there. 
you got the mercy and grace of God. That's the only way you can do it. And I had to be out there, and I was headed home. And like Google would tell me, it took 30 minutes. And it took like an hour to get home just because people are dumb, you know. And I, But I called her, she, and she called me back. She's worried. I said, honey, I'm trying to get there. I promise I am. And she probably thought I was down dancing at the Cotton Eye Joe's or something. But I just stuck in traffic trying to get to her. Amen. And, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't nowhere where I needed. I mean, I, the, I, I needed to be in the car, not out screaming in somebody's window on the interstate. But but spiritually, man, it got to me. I mean, it grieved me. And I, the, me, me and the flesh, we, we, we had a little fight right there in the car. And uh, thankfully, the Holy Ghost whooped him. But it was it was rough there for a moment. And, you know, it can be little things in your life. It can be something somebody says and you let it twist you into pieces. It can be the way people act towards you. And sometimes not even intentional. It can be a misunderstanding. Sometimes it can just be the pressures of life. And we can allow them to get us out of sorts, a sour spirit, a wrong attitude, a bitter attitude. And I wonder how many times the devil has just played us like a cheap fiddle and done that at just the perfect time that we might miss an opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. I see their compliance. They followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then look at verses 4 and 5. I like this. The Bible says in Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Well, he did receive something. Not what he thought he would. But here's what I love. Peter, he's walking by. And he could have very easily allowed the cry of this man to just meld and mesh into the din and noise that was around him. But he was listening for an opportunity. You know, let me say it this way. Say, preacher, what can I give? Well, you can give considerateness. And here's what I mean when I say considerateness. I don't mean politeness, although you ought to be polite. I don't mean conscientiousness. You ought to be conscientious. But what I mean is this. They didn't allow the pressures and busyness of life to rob them of their situational awareness. Can I tell you something you're guilty of and I am too? I'm guilty of getting so busy about my own business, going through running errands, doing things, phone calls, text messages, just going about and letting the busyness of life almost create like I'm some kind of lemming, just marching through life and never stopping to look around and saying, you know, I wonder if there's somebody I could witness to here. I wonder if there's somebody I could give a gospel tract to here. I wonder how many times just through my own <laughs> Dumb blindness. I've missed an opportunity to be a witness to somebody else. They were not. One of the great things we can say about Peter is he was looking for an opportunity. He could have seen this man and and, and seen an annoyance, but he looked at him and saw an opportunity. He could have seen him as an inconvenience. He could have just seen him like so many people did as someone to step over and then forget that you ever passed him in the first place. But instead, he stopped what he was doing and he fastened his eyes upon him. You know, I cannot help but think he learned this from the Savior. Because time and again, we find in the New Testament that Christ in his earthly ministry, he would be passing by and someone would cry out to him and he would stop and turn and interact with that person. Say, preacher, I'm busy. You ain't no busier than God. And he stopped and took time to minister to and to work in the lives of those around him. He, he did not view his life as merely just 
sort of riding on a rail and just just meeting a destination. But he saw it rather as though he's walking this path through the sojourn of life and God is just putting divine appointments left and right in front of him. And he didn't get so focused. I mean, listen, they were going to church. That's a pretty noble thing, if we want to say it that way. They were going to the house of God, to temple. They were going to worship. They were going to pray. They could have easily said, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this. I'm going to do a noble thing. I'm doing enough for God. But that's not what they said. They stopped and said, you know, maybe even on the way to church, God could show up and begin working. I see two things here. I see they were considerate towards God's working. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, they were looking for where God might be orchestrating things. You'd be amazed. You ought to expect God to do something. And he will. Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean we prompt him by our expectation necessarily. What I mean is God's doing more than you'd ever realize. If you'd stop to look, you'd be amazed at what God is doing in your life. I hear people lament all the time. Well, preacher, I just never really get good opportunities to witness people. And I found this. People that say that don't look for opportunities to witness people. Funny old world we're living in. You can't find a single wrong person to share the gospel with. If they're saved, they rejoice in it. If they're lost, they need it. Amen. And all around you, there are opportunities. You say, preacher, I don't ever get no opportunities. What, do you live in a bubble somewhere? No, the fact is, you go to the grocery store, you go down to Walmart. My soul, people to Walmart need God. Amen? And more clothes. (laughs) They were considerate towards God's work. And they didn't walk through life blind to the appointments and opportunities that God was providing them. And then they were considerate towards gospel witnessing. I love it. He could have just flipped a quarter to this man and kept on walking. But he stopped and he said, you know what this old boy really needs? He doesn't need somebody to just throw money at him again. He needs God to fix his life. Now, in this situation, that included this miracle of giving strength to this man's legs. But I would say this, that a far deeper need in his life and something God no doubt met because he jumped up and started leaping and praising and worshiping and following. What was the first place he went? He went to church. Amen. Uh, so no doubt God did something deeper than just healing this man's legs. But what a reminder is it to us that we ought to look at life around us through the prism of the deep abiding need that humanity has to hear the gospel. And he looked for every opportunity that he might have. And funny thing, when you start looking for opportunities, you'll start finding opportunities. I see that he gave considerateness. And then I like verse 6. I like it a lot. He says, then then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I like this. You know what he did? You know, preacher, I don't have anything. You know what he had that he gave to the Lord and let God use? Courage. Courage. He didn't look at him and say, well, you know, maybe we'll have a conversation sometime. He didn't look at him and say, well, bless your heart, I'll pray for you. But instead, he looked at him and he said, I can tell you exactly what's wrong in your life and exactly what it'll take to fix it. I love the way he says it. I I see that he had the courage, and I want to be careful how I say this, but I'll explain a little bit. He had the courage to denounce earthly treasure. Now, I don't mean that Peter is criticizing the notion of somebody having wealth, and he's certainly not, although it's interesting to note that he's walking around without, I don't think he's lying when he said that. He's walking around without a penny in his in his pockets. But he looks at this man who, what is this man asking for? Well, he's asking for money. He's saying, I need means, I need sustenance, I need money. And he looks at this man and he says, I can't help you with that, but I can help you. 
in that he was telling this man that he his greatest need didn't have anything to do with monetary stability. That his greatest need had nothing to do with his circumstances. It had to do with his sin. It had to do with his condition before God. And I would say we, you say, preacher, what can I do? How can I be used of the Lord to reach people? Well, one, you can have courage to be honest in telling people what is actually wrong with this world. What it takes to fix this world. What is broken about this world. One of the things that grieves me to to no ends is the way there's been this lurch in Bible preaching away from the truth of of, of the gospel and away uh, from from the the, the fundamental preeminence of the the word of God to change people's life into this sort of pseudo-Christian psychology. And this notion that if we can just get somebody to view their brokenness through the right lens, that will fix them. I got news for you. You can understand your brokenness and still not be able to do anything about it. And I, listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to talk to somebody and gain encouragement. I'm not saying it's wrong to talk to somebody smarter than your pastor is about what might be going on in your mind. Amen. But I'm just saying this, that at the end of the day, uh, that won't fix a person. At the end of the day, only Christ can. Here it was silver and gold. In modern society, it's social care and psychology. But whatever it might be that they're seeking to put forth as a substitute for the gospel, say, preacher, what can I do? Well, I can tell people that only Christ can change them. I see to denounce earthly treasure. But then he had courage to declare heavenly truth. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I like that he says Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, he could have used a thousand titles there that all are aptly applied to the Savior. But he calls him Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, why did he want, why did he use that term of Nazareth? Because he wanted this man to know exactly who he was talking about. Here they are in Jerusalem, uh, at the temple and, 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 and no doubt this man who had been lame from his birth and had laid there for all these years, he knew who Jesus was. He had seen him come and walk through the temple. He had heard of his crucifixion. He had been there when the priests ran about talking about the rending of the veil. He had been there when the sun had turned dark. He had been there when the rocks rent and the earthquake. He had been there when the Old Testament saints walked through the streets of Jerusalem and witnessed. He knew who Jesus was. So Peter says, I'll tell you exactly who can change your life. And that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I will tell you this, one of the great missing components in gospel witnessing today is clarity. You don't have to be cute, just be clear. You don't have to be spectacular, just be clear. And I will tell you, and it grieves me, man, I hear big name preachers and big name evangelists and ten evangelists and all kinds of people have these big meetings and they'll get up and they'll they'll say these things like, well, you know, you need Jesus to set you free. Well, what does that mean? They'll say things like, well, if you've got a problem, bring it to Jesus and Jesus will fix it. Well, I believe Jesus can fix any problem that you've got. But a lost person's problem that needs to be fixed is their lost condition, their estrangement and alienation from God. No doubt much of those uh, vague declarations do more to confuse and confound people than they do to actually convert people. And here's what you can do. You can be bold in telling people their need, not ugly, but bold in saying, listen, nothing's going to change in your life till you give your heart to Christ. Now, listen, you, you can get you can get dried out and you can dump the and, and flush the drugs and and uh, you, you can try to put your marriage back together and you can try to live a, 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 an honorable, virtuous. Life, and none of that's going to change you. Only Christ can change your life. And if you if you receive Christ, he'll do all of that. 
But don't think you can do that without Christ because only he can. I see he gave courage. And then a final thing, and I'm done tonight. Look at verses 7 and 8. I don't know that I ever noticed this. I've read this passage uh, many, many times, but I don't know that I ever really noticed it until the studying for this message. It says this, and he, now this is Peter, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet, and I like that good King James Bible spelling on ankle bones, received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. That's an amazing passage. This man, and I would say this, in the reading and the clarity of the text, probably two people could disagree about this and both do it in genuineness and sincerity. Whether this man was healed before or after Peter lifted him up, I do not know. The Bible says he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, But the Bible also says, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So, preacher, why did Peter have to take him by the right hand and lift him up? Well, there could be a number of reasons. One of the reasons could be that that man would have never had faith enough to try to get up on his own. He had to be lifted up to be shown that he indeed had been healed. Or it could simply be that it took this man's obedience and compliance with the, (laughs) there's a message here, with the outstretched hand in order for him to be healed. But irrespective of the order and the timing, and and you can call me a heretic later when you get home, post on social media and all that, but, well, you're going to do it anyway, amen. I want you to think with me. You say, preacher, what, what do I have? Well, you can have compassion. I noticed two things. One, he reached for him. If you've ever been around people that, that uh, and I don't even know how to say it delicately, but 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 people that have been, um, abandoned in their brokenness. I'm talking about people often that bed fast, people that are sick, and no one's there to take care of them, and no one's there to wash them, and no one's there to, to minister to them. I mean, there ain't no other way to say it, but they get filthy. They get nasty. They get covered in sores. They're diseased. They're, they're not the type of person that you'd want to be reaching out and having handshaking time with. But you see, if this man, if his life was going to change, there had to be somebody that was willing to take him by the hand. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to put aside their their sense of uh, hygiene, I suppose. Somebody had to put aside their delicacy and their daintiness and just be willing to say, I know this fellow's messed up, but he needs somebody to reach out and to help his life become changed. I see he reached for him, and then I see he raised him. Say, but preacher, God raised him. Well, your Bible says that Peter lifted him up. And I will tell you that God has to do, and, and, and this is, there's a lot of truth to what I'm about to say. If Peter had raised him up, but God hadn't, he wouldn't have stayed raised up. And I'm not talking, I'm not trying to be cute and give some illustration about losing your salvation. I'm saying this, if it's only of man, it won't be real. It's got to be of God if it's going to be real. But I will tell you this, that There is absolutely a truth that there's people, they will lay there and die in their brokenness. If someone's not willing to have the compassion to reach down, to give them a hand, and to try to help them out. You say, oh, preacher, you mean, you know, take them down to the mission and, you know, get them a new suit of clothes. No, that wouldn't help this man. So, well, preacher, you mean, you know, give charity and maybe, you know, build them a house or uh, something, you know, buy them a car or something like that. That's what it would, no, that's not what would have changed this man's life. 
It took the divine, miraculous power of God to change this man's life. And that's what it's going to take in the lives of that person that you raised your hand over earlier in the service. I said, Preacher, you still didn't answer. What can I do in their life? They won't take my phone calls anymore. They won't reply to my texts. They've told me they don't want to see me. They're uninterested. Preacher, what can I do? Well, funny thing about it, you know, a lot earlier in Peter's life, the Lord Jesus comes to Peter. When Peter is heartbroken, you can tell Peter was a godly man. You can tell two things about Peter. Uh, one, you can tell he wasn't Catholic because he had a mother-in-law. And nobody would have a mother-in-law without a wife. Amen. Uh, not on purpose. They wouldn't choose that. Amen. But there's another thing you can tell about Peter, and that's that he was a godly man. Preacher, how do you know that? Because he's burdened about his mother-in-law. Amen. He's praying she'd be healed. Amen. And a lot of folks just pray for God to take them on home. Amen. And uh, Peter wasn't doing that. He was praying, and his heart was broken, and he was burdened. And he had a loved one whom he could not change, and he couldn't heal, and he couldn't help. And the Bible tells us that it was in that situation that the Lord Jesus came into the home of Peter and healed his mother-in-law. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, I'm saying this. No doubt afterwards in Peter's life, there were many people whose life God worked in. And even prior to that moment, when he had need of God to answer and to work, Jesus showed up and worked. Preacher, what can I do? If you'll do this in the lives of others, it might be God will send somebody to do that in the life of that person. Say, but preacher, I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying, but I just can't gain any traction. I just can't have an influence. Sure you can. Maybe not with them. But every day of your life, you're surrounded with people that you do have a voice with. And instead of lamenting, preacher, I don't have what it takes. Sure you do. It may take somebody else to reach them, or it may be you. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if it was you, if it was me that reached them? But whether it's you or whether it's me, if we'll be faithful and obedient to God in ministering the lives of others and seeking for God to use us to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, one, God may give us the privilege to be that person that reaches our loved one. But two, even if we're not, we know that God will see to that need and will work in their life even through the means of another. Preacher, what can I do? Well, such as I have, that's what you can do. Preacher, I don't have. You'd be amazed what you'd have. But I wonder if you're giving these things to the Lord and letting God use you on a daily basis. Let's bow together tonight. As a musician comes to play, the altar is open, and I invite you to come right now and to pray for that person whose heart you're, who, who, who your heart is burdened for. To say their name to the Lord specifically, to mention them explicitly by name and pray for that individual. But I also challenge you tonight to not limit your scope to that, but instead to say, now, Lord, I'm praying for you to work in their life. But God, use me to work in theirs, but also in the lives of others whom my heart is burdened for, or maybe people I don't even know, but I encounter on a daily basis. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.